Luke chapter 1. We are going to begin reading verse 26 in the narrative of our Lord's birth. We looked at really the end of that narrative last week, and this morning we're going to go back to its beginning um, and uh, do what Simeon told us to do, and that is to look to the prophets and the covenants from the beginning of the world. And so this takes us into this account. And so Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 26, and we'll read all the way through to the end of the chapter. A little bit lengthier passage than maybe we're accustomed to, but Luke 1, beginning verse 26. God's word declares, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which are told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and her relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is named by that, this name. So they made signs to his father. What, would he, what he would have him called. 
And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with whom the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. I made a statement last week and several of you caught that and I'm glad you did. It was intended to be, that's why it was said. <laughs> that the very first promise of our Redeemer introduced him as the seed of a woman. It is the very first indication of one of the most precious doctrines of our Lord. We put it so high that if you deny this doctrine, we consider you a heretic. Now, in our social milieu and view of individual liberty and things like that in our doctrinal position as, as historic Baptists, um, that doesn't mean that we're going to put you to death, we're going to burn you or drown you or behead you. It simply means that we're not going to associate with you. Um, you don't want to believe in the virgin birth, that's fine, but don't call yourselves one of us because you are not. It is that critical, that crucial to your salvation is that from the very onset, God says, this has to be a virgin born, born of a woman, child. Has to be the seed of a woman. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that is so necessary, and it has to do in a great deal with your sin, and the nature of how we receive our sin, and how to get rid of our sin. And all this is wrapped up in the necessity, the absolute necessity of a virgin birth of our Lord. What is very interesting, I think, also, is that this declaration that we are going to look at in Genesis chapter 1, I'm sorry, not just chapter 1, <coughs> just chapter 3, <coughs> is not made to Adam, is not made to Eve. And that's going to be significant. So let's read a little portion of this. Genesis chapter 3. Man has already sinned. Uh, woman took of the fruit, gave it to him. He ate of it also. They have been confronted by God. 
And they, rather than taking responsibility, displace blame. Adam to his Eve, Eve to the serpent. And so God is going to work up the ladder of accountability here in our passage before us. Verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3, he says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the earth field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I command you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread to Till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Let's go, Lord, in prayer as we get our, our message this morning. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, and we do thank you that even in the midst of a curse, we can see a promise. And Lord, as we study that promise and its impact upon us, Lord, help us to do what you require, to humble ourselves to associate ourselves with that which is lowly, to recognize our place in this model that you've laid out at the very beginning, that we might recognize our individual responsibility to respond by faith to your offer of salvation. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you say, this isn't a very great Christmas message when we start off with the curse. Um, but that's exactly where we must start. For this is where it all begins. Why did Christ come? He didn't come just to give us a holiday, to get us off work, and to give us a, an excuse to give gifts to each other. He did not come just to um, try to get the nations to get along. He came because of this curse. He came because it was required, it was necessary. Our sin demanded it of him. Um, not that we could require him to do it, but he could not deliver us, could not grace us in any other way. And thus, our sin made necessary the work of Christ if we were to ever be redeemed, if God were ever have a renewed relationship with us, it would demand this. It was understood by God from the very beginning of the great toll it would take upon his person and the relationships within the triune God to affect our salvation. And for us to go through and begin anywhere in the Christmas story without acknowledging that we need a Savior. As soon as we begin to deny that, that somehow our sin isn't that bad, um, I don't really need him, I don't really need his forgiveness, I don't need the atoning work of the blood of Christ, I don't need the power of the resurrection, I don't need any of that, I'm really not that bad of a sinner. As soon as we start there, 
you're denying the entirety of the work of Christ. And you are lost. And you are destined for eternal destruction. For we must begin where the story begins. And the story begins, really, with our sin and its curse. And every now and then you have a hymn or a Christmas song that talks about that, um, about the necessity of it, that this is really about our sin. That this celebration of Christ's coming um, is really going back to reference the fact that it was necessary because I'm a sinner. And if I don't recognize that I'm a sinner, I have no right and I have no place and I have no reason to celebrate a Savior. None. I have no right to give gifts. I have no right to put up a tree. I have no right to put up lights. I have no right to say Merry Christmas to anybody. If I am walking through thinking I'm not so bad a sinner that I need a Savior. And so our story begins at the curse. For it is the curse that God is addressing through the sending of his Son, Jesus Christ. And it's within the curse that we find our first introduction to the Messiah. Before he ever gets to cursing the woman and cursing the man, he has already made a promise of redemption to destroy Satan and sin. But I don't want you to lose track of the necessary facet that we recognize that we were the sinners. We are the sinners. Christ came to die for you. He didn't come just to hang out, to be God with us. Yes, that's what Emmanuel means, and I understand that, but that's not what its fullness is. It is God with us to become one of us, that he might redeem us by having no sin, as we're going to see. And it is this starting point of understanding the horribleness of our sin that we begin to understand the necessity, the absolute necessity of the virgin birth. And so if you are disconnected from the idea that you're a sinner, you will never get why this is so important to us. Um, it's not just because it's a miracle. That really, it, 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 God's performed many miracles. It's not just that the virgin birth is a miracle that makes us special. No. It is because of this declaration of God that this is a matter of sin. And the only way to counter sin is with sinlessness. And if we deny our sin, we deny that we are that bad, if we think that we can somehow undo it by any action or 